everybody. Thirsty Thursday, number 36. Uh, tonight, we are honored to have a, a fantastic guest, Mr. Roger Steiger Jr. Um, we're going to let him talk about... Um, are you learning to count, Bobby? It's, it's hard. Uh, um, so we're going to talk about engine company operations tonight. It's going to be a great show. Uh, got a lot of experience. Got uh, a couple guys that are really uh, in touch and really... Um, on top of their game as far as engine company operations. And then there's Trevor, uh, Mike, and I that uh, we're just what here happened? for good news. So you're welcome for that, uh, specifically Bobby. Yeah. Um, so One guy with before, tattoos, one guy without. <laughs> um, just before we get started, a couple of things that we want to mention since our last show. Uh, there's been a couple of um, really big incidents that made the news uh, recently. Um, so we're going to do our best to not completely mess up. Uh, there we go. Uh, the first thing I want to mention is the um, the fatal fire that Philly had uh, probably a week, week and a half ago. Uh, 13, yeah, 13 people were killed there. Um, you know, really tragic event. I did see something the other day that um, President Biden called the, uh, the union president for Philly. Uh, one, of his, one of the comments back to the president was, Hey, give us more money so we can open up the firehouse that was down the street from this uh, from this event. So hopefully that works out for them. Uh, you know, a, a terrible event for them to have for anybody to have. Uh, so uh, you know, hopefully they can uh, they can move forward uh, from that. So if in case it couldn't get worse, it does. Um, you know, right around the same time, the FDNY had the uh, high rise uh, dwelling where they had 19 people killed. Uh, it's hard to see from this picture. It was one of the better ones that I could find. I wanted to get something with all the ladders that were shown. Uh, but you see two mains or two aerials up. A lot of ground ladders that were thrown in the FDMY. Um, you know, they had the ability to throw hundreds of people at this, uh, you know, rather quickly um, and handled this this fire, you know, just, just incredibly well. Uh, but still, unfortunately, 19 people were killed in that event. Uh, so... Uh, if you guys haven't, if you haven't had a chance to read um, what Chief Lieb wrote about the event, uh, it's a great comment and uh, a great, uh, just a great article or a great you know, thing that he sent out to the troops from his point of view as an incident commander from that event. So um, if you haven't, get a chance to look that up and, and read that. Uh, some great comments from, from the incident commander there. Something a little bit more close to home for us on the Eastern Shore. Uh, Miss Carolyn Walston, a firefighter paramedic from Del Mar, uh, she worked in Ocean City, and then she also worked at Atlanta General Hospital. Uh, was battling cancer, and, and uh, she succumbed to that just recently. So, um, keep her family in the, the Del Mar Fire Department, the Ocean City Fire Department, and uh, Atlanta General Hospital in, in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, she was a wonderful lady. Cheers, Miss Carolyn. We'll miss you. We'll love you. Uh, Uh, but again, keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, again, a, a wonderful woman. I'll let Bobby and Trevor speak a little bit more about Miss Carolyn uh, as they knew her a little longer than I, I have. Um, and if that wasn't, you know, that, that's enough of the bad stuff. Let's let's see something good. You know, last week, um, I'm sorry, it's almost, it's nine, ten days ago now, uh, the medevac helicopter going from Baltimore to CHOP, Children's Hospital in Philly, um, crashed in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. 
Um, that right there is, is the incident. Uh, there's the helicopter with one of the providers holding the infant. So everybody from that crash survived. Um, they were able to, to get out of the helicopter. And, and again, you can see the, the pilot there or one of the providers with the, the patient. So, um, you know, just an, uh, an outstanding story and an outstanding event that could have been incredibly tragic, um, but fortunately was not. So, um, so, all right, let's get started. Let's talk about our, um, our show tonight. Um, like we have before, let's kick it around and we'll do a little intro. Um, Bobby, Trevor, and Mike, um, you know, we all kind of old hat at this, so um, we'll, we'll keep it short for you guys and we'll get, get down to Roger and see what he's got to say for us. So welcome, guys. Glad to be, be back live and um, doing another show. It's been a little bit. So um, again, cheers. Good to see you all. We'll kick it over to Mike. Good to see everybody again, and um, just uh, piggybacking on what uh, uh, what uh, before mentioned there, um, and also uh, uh, extending uh, you know uh, uh, cheers and uh, thoughts and prayers to uh, uh, St. Louis uh, for what they've gone through and how they've kind of come together. Uh, you know, in the line of things that have to But that's good to be back. And I'm excited about tonight because I get to finally learn a little bit of something about uh, engine company operations. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad that Roger uh, decided to join us. He's a wealth of knowledge, and uh, I'm excited about it. So I'm just going to uh, I'm gonna push the uh, – send it down the line to Bobby and Trevor so we can get moving. Yeah, brother, it's all you. I'll go after you. Um, Hello, everybody. Um, first, I want to just, you know, talk a little bit about Carolyn. Uh, you know, Carolyn, I went to paramedic school with her, with her daughter in 1991, I think it was. And, um, and that's when I met Carolyn. Uh, Carolyn, the whole time I was in Ocean City, worked for us uh, part-time and worked at the hospital and was just a wonderful person. Uh, you know, she would always, on my birthday, she'd always bring by a, a Smith Island cake, which if you don't know, you don't know. Um, but um, every single time on my birthday at work, she'd always bring us a Smith Island cake by, and just a wonderful lady. Uh, definitely lost too soon, um, and very very sad. But I mean, she was very strong to the very very end. I saw her uh, just right before Christmas, and she was actually doing fairly well, um, you know, for her condition. And um, and so uh, luckily she she held strong to the very very end. Um, with that. It's cool to have Roger here. Um, you know, I like, we just love people that, that want to get it, you know, and they want to go after it. They want to get it. They want to figure out how to get it. And that's, I feel like that's what this show is about is why it's okay to want to go get it and, and be an aggressive engine company and stuff like that. And uh, I, I'll talk a little bit more about my thoughts about some of the engine company stuff and, and more specifically my, my time training things that I talk about all the time is, if, if you're going to give us a skill or tell us that this hose load is great or whatever it may be, um, then tell me the time it takes to deploy it. And if you don't have a time, then you're not ready to talk. Um, you need to know how long it takes you to get that line in service uh, and get going. And I think that's very, very important to, to, to compare different hose loads, different stretches, different things like that. And I think that's a very, very big um, 
deficit in the fire service is that if you have an entire urban uh, city with flat loads, then the only thing they compare it to is what engine companies run better flat loads than the other one. Um, and that's then that I think that's a problem for us is that, you know, we need to talk about how long does it take us to have us ready to have water. So I'm really excited about tonight and I haven't seen Roger in a long time. So it's really cool to see him. And uh, I'm going to turn to my, my, my boyfriend, Trevor over here. Um, I always wanted to date a chief, but I just never knew. Are we like Facebook official now or what? <laughs> it's complicated. Oh, it's complicated. <laughs> All right, Bobby, thank you. I appreciate that. And um, just to echo some of Bobby's comments about uh, Carolyn Walston, uh, you're definitely just a phenomenal individual, probably one of the hardest working people around the fire station on the emergency scene. And as Bobby said, uh, just a very giving individual never forgot anyone's birthday and was just always in the right place at the right time um, for somebody in need. So she's, she's going to be very, very sorely missed. Um, you had a lot of great uh, activity in you know, career-wise, not only in you know, the fire service, but also in the emergency department there at Atlantic General. So, you know, again, you should be very, very missed and definitely gone too soon. Uh, we were all kind of bantering around earlier today about some of our thought processes on engine company operations. And I think we're all pretty much in agreement. I think a lot of times we say the same thing, but in different ways. And I'm really interested to hear what uh, Raj has to say. He's definitely put the sets and reps in. He's been around in a lot of different places and has some great insight. And I know we have a little bit of divergence just in the way we look at things, whether you're from a you know, strictly urban center, uh, a suburban center, volunteer career, but at the end of the day, um, our ability to be effective as an engine company should be you know, really paramount. And as much as I love uh, you know, being the, the, the truck guy and the special ops guy and this, that, and the other, uh, the, the basic engine company operations, I think sometimes we take for granted and we don't really realize uh, you know, our level of inefficiency sometimes. Sometimes we do and we, we, train, to, uh, we train to success and other times we don't train to failure to say, hey, look, things are going to go wrong on the fire ground. We know that. And we ought to accept that fact and be able to recover from that and still get the mission accomplished effectively. So you know, with that mindset uh, you know, kind of being put forward, I'm really looking forward to what uh, you know, Raj has to contribute tonight. So um, with that, Dan, I'll turn it back over to you and let's, uh, let's get to our guest of honor tonight, uh, Roger Steger, Jr. Sounds good. Roger, if you want to go ahead and um, give us a little intro and, and tell us um, a little bit about yourself for everybody that, that doesn't know, um, and then we'll go from there. Uh, good evening. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, uh, well, first couple of times been able to uh, do anything like this, so thank you. Uh, for every, anybody that doesn't know, I was born and raised down in Ocean City, uh, bottom two guy well on my stream bottom two guys for some of my beginning mentors there with bobby and trevor i don't know if uh trevor might have steered me in a couple paths mostly good ones oh. <laughs> so but i got got a good chance to uh learn some great things growing up down there joined uh as a cadet as a junior member when i was 15 right before i was 15 something like that so Progressed through there, and then uh, once I graduated, moved up to the metro area and uh, 
I was a volunteer in PG County, ended up getting hired with Howard County Fire, then uh, worked six years there, moved, had a chance, moved back the last year I worked there. So about, I think it was 05 to 06, I moved back down to the beach. So I became more of an active volunteer in Ocean City. So uh, had a great time responding from 12th Street to headquarters all the time. So then, uh, then I got hired with the city of Baltimore in 06, and that's kind of been where it's at ever since. Uh, continued volunteering in Prince George's County. Uh, kind of grew up through the ranks there. Uh, got a good chances. A lot of good mentors and experiences that I've been able to, people that I meet, talk to, get close with over the years that have really influenced me. Uh, so, and then currently I've, well, since I've been in the city, I've been assigned to Engine Company 8 in uh, beautiful West Baltimore. Uh, so it's a great opportunity to learn. We definitely get our our share of some work. So we get to see good things and bad things and uh, done a decent amount of uh, engine work, I think, up to this point. Awesome. Fantastic. Thanks. And thanks for coming on tonight, Um Really appreciate having you. I know um, talking with Mike and Bobby and Trevor, um, you know, the history of, of Roger Stegger Jr. So it's nice to finally meet you virtually. Um, They're all live. They're all live. <laughs> Don't listen to them. <laughs> I, I did have a question. Uh, was Bobby and Trevor together like when you were in Ocean City or is this like more of a recent thing? Uh, it was always kind of undercover. Okay. All right. So now, now they're just out of the closet. <laughs> nice. Good to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, let's, let's dive into the engine company operations. What, what are some of the, the more important things that you guys um, look at when you're talking about a successful or a, like a, an engine company, that really excels. I know Bobby always looks at the the timed evolutions and how fast can you stretch your line, all that kind of stuff, um, which I think has a lot is a great point. Um, so what? Where are I'll, you I'll help you out, Roger. You ready? What yep. the hell makes a good engine company? <laughs> I like That's what it. he's asking. So several of us have been talking lately. I've been uh, soliciting a lot of. Uh, input from friends all over the country on different things and uh getting right dive through all that all their responses and whatnot but a lot of us we figured out the the upfront investment is what separates the mediocre or poor from the the good uh the good engine company just puts all of that upfront investment there and it's not one thing it's not just running this line it's not it, it's the myriad of everything that we have to deal with uh, very similar to what makes a good truck company or squad company or whatever it is. You have to know more than just the task at hand. It's not just, oh, I can pull the line or whatever. Uh, I can flow water. Uh, as one of my, the battalion chiefs at work put it uh, one time, once he was diving through some uh, hose and nozzle intricacies, he's like, wow, hose isn't hose and nozzles aren't nozzles anymore. No, it's not. And that's the case you need to Im involve yourself in every aspect of it you need to get so that you have mechanical in uh, intuition where everything is just playing out <clears throat> you can't get it wrong 
So, cause you're going to get it wrong. Something's going to happen, some, some curveball. So having multiple plans where you can just adapt on the fly, but that only comes from the repetitions that you put into it, from the education you put forth. It's not every day going out and running a line. That's great. And that's, that has to happen, but also talking about your buildings, talking about your response patterns, the apparatus you have. A lot of us are in jurisdictions, whether it's career volunteer, where we don't have to say in how the hose gets racked or how the engine gets bought. So we have to adapt to what we have. So whether you have that triple fold or the flat load or the minute man, you have to become an expert in how to deploy that. What's the best way? How, what can I do with it? What can I not do with it? Uh, if you have the ability to alter things or change things, then figure out why you're going to, what's better, try it, see if it is better, and then make the push for overall change. Uh, really, like <clears throat> we created a lot of uh, some notes for, we just did a little webcast with Fire Engineering a couple weeks ago. And uh, myself and Rick Caruso from DC and Mac Williams, uh, also traditions instructors, <clears throat> we went through making some notes and it, the first thing that we uh, talked about was the preparedness, the, the knowledge, uh, the knowledge and familiarity just with building construction, with fire behavior, with deployment methods of what we have. <clears throat> if you, you're working on engine one today and it has one set up, but uh, your detailed engine two, the next shift, what's the differences? <clears throat> Did you go over the rig when you walk, walked in? Uh, is it your normal assigned shift? Uh, what is your mutual aid company's run? Is it somewhere where in uh, like the short <laughs> method where there's multiple different departments around and a, a box alarm could pull five or six different drastically different, maybe even different states, let alone different departments. What equipment do they have? We went down and uh, taught a class right off after Thanksgiving in, uh, outside of Dallas. And one of the departments down there, the nozzle they ran is the Venicator. And we were talking, we we're like, if you run mutual aid at two o'clock in the morning, it's not the first time that you should pull this vindicator off and figure out how it works. <clears throat> so if you're in a situation where there's other companies around other departments, invest in time of knowing what they have or knowing, okay, we're running mutual aid to Ocean City. I don't know if they check out their stuff, what hose they run. I'm going to disconnect my line or I'm going to have a, a rack dedicated to i bring up and i just give a coupling to a pump operator and tell them i need this charge at this psi when i call for water so that it's your equipment your hose you're familiar with and you know how it's going to react so the you have to be silent taken out of a couple things that i've read on special operations forces is there's a lot of uh they get credited with a lot of special stuff, but most of them will go back to, we don't, we do some special things, but the majority of the stuff we do are the basics. We just do them extremely well. We do them to excellence. And that's the same thing with engine company operations. If you do it to excellence, you'll be that good engine company. If you do it to the standard or to getting by, or uh, yeah, we got this bedroom out. When you get that tough fire, you're not going to, you're not going to perform well. Yeah, that was the, one of the, this morning, um, I think Mike first sent the text um, to Bobby, Trevor, and I, and we were talking about 
the this topic. And one of the things we talked about was, um, you know, you look at, at your academy programs, you look at your your basic training programs for, for people that come in, and there's a lot of it where it's you're set to the standard, and then that's, that's where you stop. You know, um, I think Trevor brought up where you're training, training to success. So that evolution is success. And that's how we train is that every time we, we pull the line, the, the evolution goes well, the fire goes out. Well, like you just mentioned, Roger, you know, you get to that fire where it's not like that. What happens then? You know, and, you know, we, we train people to this basic level to the standard, but we don't, we don't continue that training uh, onto that next level of, when things aren't going that way, now what do we do? Um, so Bobby and Trevor, you guys want to, you know, chime in and talk about that a little? Yeah, real, real quick. And I, this is where I want, um, you know, Roger, Mike to really chime in on this as well. In part of our conversation earlier, we talked about those reps and sets at the basic level, and that basic foundation is critically important. But as the old, uh, you know, Navy SEAL saying goes, that you you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to level your training. And a lot of people don't progress past that basic foundational level. And which, you know, that's important, but you have to progress from there and figure out in the district that you're serving, um, what's the best line? Are you gonna have to extend? Do you not extend? Is that 150 or 200 pre-connect that takes care of 90% of your stuff? That's great, but what if you have to extend that line? What if you have to go to the rear? And that's what we were talking about before, is a lot of times we train to success. When we do our drills, uh, we do the checkbox training and say, okay, pull this line to this objective, flow water, we're done. Okay, let's go get lunch. And one of the challenges I think that we have, especially in suburban areas and even small town or um, you know, volunteer, strictly volunteer areas, is we don't have special services right on our tail. So being able to focus completely on being that, um, stretching that line or being that engine company um, and I'll, I'll kind of divert back to when we had the uh, fire at the Lazy Lizard at First Street. Laddering was a huge part of our operation. We had to split our crew and make sure that we got the first line in service, but also took the, vic- the first, uh, first victim off the porch roof over ladders. Um, we do a lot of things as far as training on rope operations, things that would typically be pushed to a, a truck company, a squad, or a heavy rescue. So I think that's where a little bit of that divergence comes from is that in some departments where we don't have special services immediately available or right on our tail, we start to become that jack of all trades, master of none. And so getting that first line of service, you know, yes, it's a priority, but then we start to fade away from that being a time priority and getting that first line of service as quickly and as effectively as possible because we throw so many balls at the crew to juggle that they have to be good at first in engine operations. We need water supply. We need to get the first line in service. Oh, we got to throw ladders too. Well, hey, if it's a guy hanging off of a scaffold, now you got to throw a main line down on somebody. So I, I think we really kind of dilute sometimes the effectiveness of that engine company through some of our training because we're expected to do so much with less that we um, really kind of blur the lines of what the engine company's there to do. So uh, I'd be interested from you know, Roger and Mike's perspective. I know Mike's been in, you know, in the urban service uh, for quite a while. And then you know, Roger, you've been in the full gamut and seen all different uh, sides and aspects of this. So what are some things that we can do to look at um, from that engine company perspective to be good at the basic operations, but also be able to understand our capabilities and limitations and take care of those first in uh, 
those first and crucial tasks that we might be faced with when we get there, such as you know, ladder operations or rescue versus just strictly getting that line in service. So what, what, what are your thoughts about the balance on those things? Go ahead, Mike. Uh, well, you know, I, I can't speak a whole lot to um, <laughs> the the engine company uh, side of that, but uh, I will say this: you know, you get an opportunity as a truck to take note of some of the good and bad habits that engine companies have, because you know, with your attack engine, uh, if, if the truck's in the front of the building, we are generally going in with those guys, or at least. Uh, an element of the truck is going in uh, the front door with those guys. So uh, I will say that in, in my mind, you, one of the major, uh, one of the major components of a successful attack engine is deliberate decision-making. I, I think that having guys that seem like they are um, all jiving and all on the same page, much like, you know, uh, and Raj and I talked about this a few days ago, uh, just like a football team looking downfield with the same vision and the same goal in mind, you can see some of these engine companies that, and it does take time because a lot of these crews are together for a while, but you get to see how they just without words um, are able to pick up on each other's step and progress that attack line and everything seems to just kind of flow like a beautiful dance. Um, but it goes back to deliberate decision-making and confidence in what they're doing. Uh, I've only been on the pipe a handful of times, and um, it's, not, it's not for me. Um, it, you know, and, uh, it, but my perspective has always been that. Uh, there are guys that kind of sidestep and stutter step. Uh, and then there are guys that seem confident and are very educated in their next move. And they seem to be able to progress through any obstacle uh, that lay in front of them. And those are guys that I like, uh, that any truck member likes to be beside, behind, or searching ahead of. Uh, and that gives you that confidence that you know that there is someone around you that is going to take care of uh take care of the situation or take care of you if you get jammed up and i think that that's uh that marriage is very important it's like an offense and a defense but uh, roger can give a much better perspective than i can hey, i really like the deliberate decision making uh, comment that, that was exactly what it it is it you you have to take the opportunity you on fires we're progressing we are processing so much information at it so quickly uh some of us can do it better than others some and that comes with training and experience uh some are horrible at it and no matter how much uh you can throw at them they're going to sit there and not be able to make a decision to save their life let alone somebody else's so <clears throat> being able to process what what is going on? Uh, when I became a chief at uh, Kentland <clears throat> under uh, Tony Kelleher, one of the first things and the best advice he gave, not the best, but some of it, was always consider bag, where where the fire's been, where it's at, and where it's going. 
the same thing is true no matter what position you ride, not just as a chief officer. When we're showing up, what are the conditions that I have? Maybe we have victims hanging from a window, but are they in immediate danger? Is where's the <clears throat> if I abandon the line, how far out is the second due engine <clears throat> to come in and take up that that process? Is it better for me? Get that line in there, put the fire out. That's typically how engines are going to save lives. By putting the fire out, everything tends to get better. So there's countless uh, one-line quotes from all kinds of people throughout time about that one. But if we can put that line in between the fire and the victim, buy them some time, knock it down, extinguishment, whatever the case may be. There was a video probably a couple months ago, and I don't know where it was from or whatever else, but it was a fire and it was showing up. They decided... From the video, it looks like they decided to abandon the fire to go for a rescue where somebody had thrown either a civilian ladder or a ladder up the balcony. Well, it rapid fire growth as fire loves to do. That's what it does. So next thing that happened, they're run off the uh, ladder. The victim's falling down, still getting burned. The fire's just not in check. If you're short staffed or you have full staffing, I mean, what? What are we considering short staffing? Are we considering short staff two people? That's going to change the game significantly. Three, we we run with four in Baltimore. So I'm used to a four-man, but we leave one at a hydrant. So we're operating on the fire ground for a good majority of the time, most of the time, with three personnel, one being the pump operator. So it's a team of two going in, pushing the line. That officer being short staffed or whatever it's He's a working officer. He has to work. So by having the personnel a little bit more senior or trained or you put the upfront investment to help that decision making, he can steer a little bit less than he has to. He knows the line, the appropriate line is going to get pulled off. That's going to give him that's going to limit his task saturation, going to give him more tasks that he can do before he's overcome. So allowing him to process a little bit more maybe he needs to change the game plan it's like okay is the fire too far evolved that our quick attack inside is not going to make the difference at the time that you need to do the latter is the appropriate thing is it where i tell if i have somebody staying in the hydrant just leave the connection there and i need you to come up here now is it where the, i need to tell the pump operator you have to get that ladder up that is your that is now your priority. But again, that has to be those are things that are going to be discussed well before that fire happens. We're gonna go through these scenarios, we're gonna go through these what ifs well before. So just as a football team would call an audible, okay, hey, hook that intake in. So if the second dude gets there, they can just charge it without you having to be present and not have to worry about the hose big getting charged or any calamity of that aspect. You're going to charge the attack line. Roger, you're going to start going in and making a knock or at least trying to get, <clears throat> we know the woman's on the balcony on the second floor, knock down the fire in the living room and the kitchen to the point where we can then get her over the balcony off uh, down the ladder. And if that's as far as I can make it, because of obstacles or conditions inside, I take up my position there, continuing to flow water and getting the knockdown from there that's needed until our our help gets there or our other engines, whatever the cases may be. Uh, that makes sense.
Yeah. I, I got a okay, couple. I read Dip's comment. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I saw that pop up. Oh, <laughs> I like it. Absolutely. Yeah. Along, piggybacking on what uh, what was just posted by Dips, um, what, Raj, what do you think would be, and I know it's kind of, it might be hard to assess this depending on, you know, the places that you've ridden, but what do you think the best manpower number is for an engine company? What would be ideal? I mean, the more, the better. You yeah. can split up all kinds of tasks. And, uh, I mean, if you had an eight man engine, everybody could pull like 12 inches of hose and you'd be good. <laughs> if you had an eight man but, engine, you're going to quint. So that's, uh, so at Kentland, we used to drive because we could be from anywhere from three up to six. So we had game plans set for the lowest common denominator being three person, three people, all the way up to having six. And so the primary three, <clears throat> the primary spots were handled and then the extra guys just kind of became extra backup people or were able to do extra things as far as, okay, we have four, <clears throat> we have five, we have six, depending on the stretch, if we needed to, hey, you, you know you're coming off all the time with a rack so no matter what the case may be we think we're just stretching the front door but then there's an audible oh we actually this isn't the front door the front door is actually three doors down or around the side or something that that's just a door up to the second floor we need to go to the first floor and it's actually on the back side we can go ahead and extend the line without having to go back to the engine to get it they're filling in tasks that uh we wouldn't ha don't deem as the, the most primary, most general that we have to have accomplished on every instance. If that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, I got. So I'm going to throw, uh, and I know I'm kind of cutting ahead of everybody. But no, you're good. Three more out at you before I uh, allow Bobby to start doing some target practice on you. Um, so <laughs> here's what I, I don't. Got. Know, I don't have my times dialed in, so you're going to enjoy me. <laughs> <laughs> I would help you with that, but I'm going to mess it all up, pulling lines off. Um, so I got, I got three. I got three questions, and some of them might be, some of them might be bad. What do you think is the? And, and let's just talk about uh, the attack engine or the first arriving engine. What is the number one in your mind? If you had to narrow it down, what is the number one mistake? that attack engines make upon arrival? I don't know if there's just one thing. Uh, I'll, go I, with, <laughs> I'll go with the top couple. I'll go with the top couple. Uh, okay. So failure to figure out a water supply. So no matter what your circumstances are, you can read a good majority of line of duty death reports and water supply is up there with communications usually being an issue. So figuring out some sort of level of water supply, whether it be a forward lay uh, into the uh, incident, whether if you're rural operations and you're gonna have to do tankers and everything else, uh, trying to go back to a couple of things I learned decade or more ago, uh, there's various ways to do that, but you can always put some way, some form of hose in the street 
whether if it's a dr long driveway or something where you need to be, you need some some fo form or fashion of water supply started. Uh, not saying you have to have be connected to a hydrant before you go inside, but you some hose in the street. I like the uh, the Cummins or the Detroit 400, 500 horsepower a lot better than trying to uh, drag back or anything else or trying to sit there, oh, well, if it's working, then I'll get the next engine to get, to get me something. Well, that next engine just wrecked or it failed to stop or start or whatever. They didn't get out. It's uh, Tuesday at 10 a.m. and nobody was there. Whatever the case may be, you're not controlling your destiny at that point. You're allowing somebody else to be one of your major factors. The other <clears throat> big failure is lack of hose management. So no matter what kind of hose you run, hose loads you run, how what your staffing is, if you don't know how to manage that hose and get that hose to <clears throat> the seat of the fire to where, the, where you can actually start doing good, it's no good. So if you don't know how to flake out the line, how to run the line, how to flake out the line, uh, then, and that's everything from rig to the door to interior, op <clears throat> interior obstacles and nozzle work. If you don't know your overall hose management, uh, then you're going to fail. I like it. So, um, so I set you up now. Um, three things, right? Because where we're, you know, where we work, Time, it, 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 I say that, it, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to retract that. It has nothing to do with where we work. Our business is about time management uh, from the time the call drops. So, and I, I, it shows itself all over the place, and it shows itself obviously up where we work um, uh, glaringly. So if you were to say, can it, pick one of the three, what is the most important uh, as far as being good time managers, is it your turnout time, your travel time, or your line deployment? Of the three of those, what do you think is the most, as far as uh, the most important as it comes to time management? Well, two of those you have control over and one you don't. So the response time or however you worded it is the only thing you have no control over you don't know what traffic conditions are going to be weather conditions you have no control over any of that uh, we have huh or accidents <laughs> right so you need to <laughs> i see what you did there i was only present for one of those uh not my shift uh, <laughs> So you don't, and that's been something that was ingrained in me. Like you don't know once, you, once the rubber, once you cross the threshold of the door, you don't know what's going to happen. So you can control from the time that you're alerted to the time that it gets out. And then obviously you can control from the time the parking brake, well, right before the parking brake is uh, pulled until water's in the line. You can control those two factors. You can control getting out. You can't control, oh, this road is blocked because of police activity or it's an active crime scene or whatever the case may be. So 
that is out. The two, the two other are just as important. I won't say one's better than the other. Uh, if you sit there and drag your feet and drag your ass turning out, then that's on you. You have to live with how long it took you. Oh, did you put your, it was, are you in a situation where your gear can be on the rig or are you coming from home and it's in a locker or in your car? So is it in a position or in a stored in a fashion where I can readily grab everything to throw it in the cab and get going? Or do I have to do the shuffle of, Oh, hold on. I forgot my helmet. Let me go back to my locker and get it. Uh, how do you have it set up? How do you, <clears throat> what your conditions are? Mine stays on the rig, no matter if we're in the station, we're out of the station. I had a conversation years ago with, with a guy that knew were in the department and a lot of guys, when they come back to the firehouse, they'll take their gear out of the engine. They'll hang it on the grab rail. They'll put their boots on the floor. Okay. They get a run. If it's a box or whatever, they'll run up there. They'll get dressed. They'll jump in. If we get a medic run or we're going out to do errands or hydrants or whatever the case may be, then they come in, they throw the gear in the wagon and off they go. Well, if we get a run while we're out, then we have to get dressed in the rig. Whether you pull over, you stop. And so you're allowed to get dressed safely without any movement or whatever else. That's the case. But you're not going to take it out of the cab, hang it back on the grab rail, put your boots on the side of the street. So I told this younger guy, I was like, why don't you just leave your gear on the edge? You can always jump on the edge and standing in the firehouse and get dressed while it's there before you leave. Then everything's the same. It's repetition. It's that mechanical intuition where I know my radio straps hanging here, my coat's here. My coat. <clears throat> you can literally get get dressed while still being asleep and wake up on a fire around going, oh, that's right, this is a fire. Like, <clears throat> I not even realize you're going through everything so intuitively. So things like that. Pulling the lines the same way. If and uh, if you can't get water quickly, that's that's something to talk about. If, if figure out with your crew, if you have the normal driver or the normal normal group of drivers driving you, are you going to call for water every time, or is it going to be a set thing? Oh, I see you go into the house, and I'm going to give you so many seconds. I had a PO at one pump operator at one point. If there was smoke coming out of the first floor, he was charging the line as we were going in the front door. If there's no smoke coming out of the first floor and it was two or three stories, whatever the conditions were, he was giving 30 or so seconds. So we could get in start to get up the stairs, flake out our line, and then he was charging it. <clears throat> so we knew that. So we knew the clock was ticking. We're going to get the hose get in place, get the hose flaked out, everything. Others are, I got it. You got to call for water. If you have a detailed driver in or overtime driver in or somehow you don't know, that's something to be, no. Okay. Hey, if you're the Lieutenant, you're the captain, you're telling them, Hey, look, I expect you, I'm going to call you for water. Don't charge until I call you. Or I expect you to charge the line 30 seconds after going the door, whatever the case may be. That's something that worked out. Everything for pulling the line and stretching the line needs to be quick. It 
it needs to be smooth and it needs to be quick. And it's the, uh, depending on what size line, uh, we always say like our longer lines, our 400 foot lines, they take, we don't expect, we're not pulling them off like a 150 foot bumper line or a 200 foot crossway where we're grabbing or the 250 foot crawler where we're grabbing and we're, we're going. <clears throat> the upfront investment there is taking the couple extra seconds to get the loads out onto the people's shoulders correctly. And then we're moving with the purpose and we're going uh, smooth as fast, fast as smooth or yeah, slow as smooth, smooth as fast, that whole deal with the repetition of we know how, okay, if we start to space out, I know I need to call back, hey, hold on, slow down a little bit. Because if I'm the I'm the middle guy and the, I'm the slowest guy and the, the nozzle man's out in front of me and he's taking off, well, if he gets too far in front of me, then he's going to start pulling off of either his shoulder or my shoulder or I'm going to trip and fall down. So that's going to make the overall operation slower. So communication, you have to communicate if it's, on certain stretches if it's something simple and something quick then we can get the line off get it flaked out everybody has a job and we're going about it right on thank you for that man um what's the next shot that's an awesome explanation for all of them so real quick before i uh put you in the ring with uh trevor and bobby um this is, this is kind of a truck related question so uh, there's a lot of Fire guys helpers go ahead <laughs> well let me mute myself so i can say a couple of things okay I'm back. <laughs> um, <laughs> so and you can give me a short on this one um yes no maybe so uh having a truck officer or uh truckmen uh, notice i said men search ahead of of that attack line so the door gets forced uh, what's your preference as, I mean, you're very experienced on the pipe. What is your preference for that? Do you, do you mind truck guys going ahead of you and maybe coming back to you and telling you where the fire's at? Is it something that you like to do independently? Obviously, I know that this flexes depending on if we have confirmation of people trapped. So, uh, you know, let's take that out of the equation and just say mm -hmm. routine. Um, what's your preference uh, on the pipe? Do you mind those guys going ahead of you? um on that first floor if it is a first floor fire or what's your preference uh, sorry about that uh, i don't have a preference it's uh conditions and incident specific i've had a great opportunity the, the entire time that i've been signed eight engine obviously 10 trucks right there with us and there's been some outstanding officers on 10 trucks where <clears throat> they've gotten the door for us they've went depending on the conditions they went in, done their thing, and then it's been an awesome guide where, hey, right back this way, oh, you, you got to step over some shit right here or whatever. More instances of second floor fires where it's just banked down. Uh, a lot of our stairs dump you right in the middle of the house. So you can, <clears throat> it might be the front or it might be the back, but chances are if you, if you go to the back without knowing it's the front, you lost it. The second new engine is going to get it. So, or vice versa. And these officers, while they were going in searching not only for victims, but for the fire, would call back, it's in the back. Or they went to the top of the stairs and they went to the back to search. They're like, it's not back here. Oh, okay, it must be up front. 
anything they've encountered, they've been able to call back and tell you if there's an obstacle, if there's something, if it's, hold on, hey, this, this is walled off. It's not here. You got to find another way or something. So I, I, I love having them in front of me. Uh, obviously, if the whole floor is on fire, they're not going to be in front of me. Uh, but if they have the opportunity to get there and go in, and I've also, at the same time, the same officers at times, because of conditions or whatnot, have been right behind me. My engine officer is a little bit further back, <clears throat> pushing hose where he needs to be as the primary, as, as the initial backup person, if you will. will. So the truck officer has acted as my officer. He's been behind me. He's also pulled some hose knowing, hey, I can't get in front of the, the fire's in front of us. I can't go in front of the pipe man without him putting it out. So I might as well bring a little bit of hose with me. So he's helped me. He's been right there. If I miss something, uh, if I miss a door or whatnot, he's there to direct me. And it's just an added set of hands and it's good. So, uh, I think it goes down to if they're a good officer and a good fire ground officer, they're going to be a benefit. If they're just, if they decide to go in, it's obviously a top floor fire or a second floor fire or whatever above us. And they decide that they're just going to go uh, check the basement for utilities or something. Then they're of no use to me. Awesome. Right on, man. Raj, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, listen, um, Working in Jobtown, are you allowed to have all that facial hair? Uh, I've been off since Sunday. I go back on Sunday, so I hate shaving. <laughs> me, too. me too. I get that all the time. <laughs> uh, I'm turning you over to uh, Bobby and Trevor, man. Well, hang on. I'm going to jump in before. You're coming uh, back on, Mike? Right. Go ahead, Ben. Um, sorry. We got a question in from little Timmy Jershide, or as he's going by Moth now, um, for Roger and Mike, you guys have any pros and cons when it comes to being assigned to a single piece of apparatus as opposed to being assigned to a station and cross-staffing an engine or a truck? If you guys want to – and I guess we can – we'll throw um, right. Bobby and Trevor in there too. So I had the opportunity when I worked in Howard. I spent the majority of my time at a uh, – at a firehouse savage where we staffed an engine a truck and a rescue engine so we had to kind of do a little bit of all uh the pros is if the engine's not dispatched the truck might be or if the truck's not dispatched the engine might be so you might be able to get on more stuff uh you get to do more more overall skills uh the cons you have to be proficient at all of it uh i mean some people say that as a con uh, I think it's, it definitely takes more training and you have to be a lot more basic that you need to get familiar with and a lot more drills and stuff to do. But uh, it's being assigned to a single piece of apparatus, sometimes you can, uh, you can definitely not like have any relation with the other, the other tasks that have to get occur, that have to occur. So if you get end up getting detailed or overtime on that piece, you're kind of out in the sauce or you're not sure what to do. Uh, you just get locked into maybe too much of your own stuff, so a little bit too comfortable, a little too complacent. So, Or you just may not understand why they do something differently. And by that, it's like why the truck's going to do this, why the truck wants to park here versus where the engine wants to park or 
uh, what they task and jobs that they they need to perform and the order that they need to get performed in versus what we need to perform them in. So you, you might be kind of jaded by that or obtuse to it, like not sure what to do or why. Uh, it's always good to train on the other other assigned functions and whatnot. You can always, in our situation, well, maybe not necessarily the case of Mike as a promoted driver, but most of us can still be detailed and work overtime on other pieces. So it's like, oh, a whole different skill set's needed in instances. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks. I think it's a, it's a great point. We, um, in Ocean City, as, as you guys know, we, we cross staff between the medic and the whatever piece of apparatus. So, um, you know, one of the comments mm-hmm. that you made earlier was, um, you know, how do you have your gear set up? You know, right now, you know, going back and forth, you know, whatever call comes in is what we're taking uh, first. So most of the time our gear is tucked away in a compartment on the, on the ambulance and then, oh, shit, we got to grab it out, put it on real quick and then jump on the engine of the truck and go. Um, you know, Bobby at Station 4 goes into Delaware a lot with, you know, between the engine, the truck uh, and the medic unit. So it's, um, you know, there's there's a lot of bouncing around that, that we're doing. So, um, so. Good question. Thanks, Moth. All right, Bobby, Trevor, you guys look ready to pounce. You want to go first? Go no, you go ahead. It's all you, Bobby. <laughs> um, just to keep it the engine company stuff is because um, Roger's here, and I don't want to offend him with any truck stuff. You know, um, you I'm know, not offended either way. <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, I, I always try to put firefighting into some other realm that we can understand that, that we don't do. And so, you know, I think like, you know, if you think about training and your basic training for engine company operations, um, you know, think about like guitar lessons, you know, how many guitar lessons do people take across the country per year? Who knows, you know? And, and so everyone takes these guitar lessons and they teach you how to play the chords and, and how to put the chords together, you know? And then there's a guy like Carlos Santana, you know, what did Carlos Santana do different than all those other guys that took these, um, you know, guitar lessons. And what he did was he just messed with it. He has his own sound. He has his own thing. And, and what he does is he, he messes with every single chord and how his fingers get there and what he does and how he strums and how he picks and all those types of things. And, and the next thing you know, he's this elite guitar player. Um, and, and I think that that's, as an individual firefighter, that's about you stretching a line. If you have to stretch a line by yourself, are you going to be that guy that took the guitar lesson? Or are you going to be the guy that just picks everything apart and picks out everything you're doing? And, and that's why I talk about timed all the time is because it's very difficult to know if you're doing better or worse in the fire service if you don't time it. You know, so I know that a 200-foot pre-connect for me takes 30 to 40 seconds to stretch right. So I have that number in my head. I know what it is, you know. So when I'm looking at other people pulling lines and they say, oh, I have this other technique or this other style or sort of thing, I go, okay, how long does it take? And they go, I, I have no idea. And Roger quit on us. So, um, be but <laughs> he will. Uh, so, uh, you know, and, and so they have no idea. So we can't really discuss it, you know. And I mean, you could really attribute to other stuff like truck things, like how long does it take you to cut a vent hole or how long does it take to search a bedroom or whatever. 
there's all kinds of things to do, but just sticking to engine company stuff, you know, I know what my times are. So when people show me new hose loads or new styles and tactics, oftentimes when we test them out, they're not as fast, you know? And, and the problem is, is that the fire service, we're, we're very much, when you talk about the Carlos Santana, then the guy's got to join a band. So if he joins a band and his pump operator just took the drummer's course and, and didn't really refine his skills, we don't get water in time or we don't get water at the right pressure or whatever it may be. Or the officer, if he doesn't really hone his skills in to be looking around us to get, you know, taking the overall picture as we're going in, cheating and doing size ups to make sure we're going in the right door, going in the right direction or whatever, then it doesn't. So that whole band has to get together. Um, and that's, you know, when you talk about engine eight, that's, I think that's what you're talking about, Rogers, the whole band's kind of getting together. And, um, you know, I think it's just, it's super important. I don't care what hose load you use, um, but if it's taking you longer than a minute to stretch a line less than 200 feet or 200 feet or less, then you got a problem. And it doesn't matter whether it's a flat load or a, a, a triple fold or a minute man or whatever. If, if it's taking you over a minute to stretch that line, I get ready for water, there's something wrong with you. And, and I think people need to understand that. Well, you, you can't understand that if you never time it. You, 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 when you're doing it, you don't know how much time it takes. And that's why I kind of, I'm a big proponent of, of timing what you're doing because, you know, I, you know, listen, there's parts of the country to say every line must be stretched off the back of the engine. It's the only way to do business with us, you know. There's other parts of the country that say every line must be stretched off the cross leg. And that's the only way we do business. And there's some places that say every line must be stretched off the front bumper, you know. Well, if we don't put times to it, for how long does it take to do these particular things, what's the point of arguing about it? You know, and that's that's kind of why I go on a time thing. So, ha, fireworks get ready to happen here. So, I'll give it to Trevor. <laughs> All right, thanks, Bobby. Um, both, both Mike and Roger said the same thing about proficiency. Um, you know, it's about the sets and reps and being proficient at what you do. And unfortunately, in the fire service, more often than not, we have to be, again, the, the um, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. And I would much rather be proficient in three things than half-assed in six. And that's the position I find that most of us in the fire service outside of the urban areas find ourselves in because we have to try to balance all these different um, tasks and responsibilities as that first in engine company. And so you know, to, that, to that end, um, you know, we find ourselves not practicing the, the, the tenets of our trade as much as we should. And both of you brought up that proficiency issue. And, you know, I think the more that we look at those reps and sets and figure out what we can do to be more proficient to get that line in service for the people we're protecting and not so much for us, because as Roger, I know, um, you know your dad and then Chief Donald Fisher told us many times over the years. Um, and I, I was told this as a young chief officer said, son, look, all fires are going to go out whether you show up or not. You're either going to accelerate the process or make it better. And th those words stuck with me to say, look. You know, we, we have to understand that what we do in those initial few uh, seconds and initial few minutes on the fire ground are, par <coughs> excuse me, are paramount to the entire operation. So to that end, um, you know, I really resonate with what you all are saying is be proficient. And as far as cross training and cross staffing, yes, that looks great on a city manager's worksheet for efficiency of operations. But 
engine people are typically passionate about engine work. Truck people are typically passionate about engine work. And we've seen this many times back in Ocean City as well, where you could cross staff and do what like down here in South Florida, we call an either or. You might be staffing multiple pieces. Now, I'm not talking about specialty pieces like a brush truck or a boat from time to time. I'm talking about engine company, paramedic unit, truck company three very basic tenants that we use every single day in the fire service and you have people that will transfer from one to the other and don't have the reps and sets to be truly efficient and you have to base your tactics on who you have not what you should do not not merit based not mission based but literally who you have working on that piece of apparatus they might be good people they might be competent they might be smart they might be motivated but they're just not engine company people they're just not truck company people they're just not paramedic people and when you put them into those positions you're kind of setting them up for failure unless you give them the reps and sets and how much time do we have during our day to truly say i want you to be a hundred percent truck person a hundred percent engine person a hundred percent paramedic person that's not a reasonable expectation and that's where i think we fall short sometimes because we put too much emphasis on trying to catch all of the parameters of what we do and ask that one person to be a 100% expert in all those things. And they just don't have the, the rep sets or passion to do it. And that doesn't mean they're bad or stupid. We're human. We only have so much capability and limitations. I think as long as we recognize our capabilities and limitations, we're much better at what we do. And also being honest with it, I've had people come up to me um, when I've been on those either or situations say, hey, look, I don't remember how to do X, Y, and Z. Well, guess what? We're having a two-hour drill right here now. Um, you know, I don't care if it's breakfast time or not. We're going to do this because now you're a truck person. Now you're, an, you're a heavy rescue person. Now you're an engine person. And if, if, if you can't give 100% uh, in, in that capacity, then we become a liability. And those people don't mean to be a liability, but at the same time, um, you know, I think we need to be honest about our own personal capabilities and limitations that we're put in that position, but also do the best we can at the, at the assignment that we're given and make sure we get the reps and sets. And with that, that's where I have so much uh, great respect for you know, all of us here, those who have to do the multiple tasks and those of us who focus on the main tasks of our jobs would also have to be um, flexible enough to transition between different things to get the job done. And I think Mike and Roger, you guys have mentioned that it's all about the communication and being able to, you know, as much as we tease each other about being speed bumps in the hallway for each other, um, you know, it's that communication to say we are mission specific and we're all part of that, that we're all cogs in that machinery. So, uh, you know, kudos to all you guys for you know, really, you know, showing the true nature of what we do. Hey Roger, you got fireworks for you? No, no, yeah. I'm not working tonight, so I don't have fireworks. Our, our, like our post-production show right here, we got fireworks. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Are they because I'm on the show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is really big spend for us. Um, Alan, I, I'm I posted up here. Yeah, uh, just a little bit ago, and we're we're coming up on an hour, so we're going to kind of wrap it up. Um, but I did want to. This is a great question, and I know um, Bobby always um, uses one ladder truck as a length of hose. Um, but any other tips on estimating your stretch? Uh, figure out what's uh, applicable to you. So understanding how far it is between telephone poles in your area. So are your roar, are they more stretched out? Is it more urban? Are they closer together? Understanding how far those are, how it correlates to the hose, 
fire trucks is a great one. Uh, that's why I envision how many engines it is, and then it's a little bit, uh, engine's a little bit shorter than a section of hose. A, a straight truck is about the same. A tiller truck nowadays is a little bit longer than a section of hose. So understand that. Uh, what we do, do a lot of times. Hmm? Do you find that most things truck related are a lot longer than engine related? <laughs> Only their stories. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. well. So, uh, <laughs> well, right. uh, we'll do oftentimes we have a, uh, I learned this from a buddy of mine in DC, uh, Rich Poland. He, uh, he was a wagon driver on 11 engine. They kept a bucket full of small diameter, like, twine not quite twine a little bit bigger but with increment marks on it and when they show up on a medic run he would position like it he would for a box farm and hook it to the tailboard of the wagon and run up the stairwell run it down the street whatever it is make a note let the guys know oh hey the 400 will reach up to the eighth floor uh <clears throat> some people like using a measuring wheel wheel well the problem with the measuring wheel is that it's only linear it, did it skip? Did it? How's it doing? Stairs, rope will twine, whatever small diameter will lay out similar to hose will. So it's a whole lot easier to stretch that through a lot of these occupied apartment buildings and houses. Also, uh, figure that out. <clears throat> so if you have an idea on this building, if I park here, I know it's this far to get this high. Then you can correlate that to your other buildings. <clears throat> run it down the street and understand i hate seeing people run like long lines down the street all the way to the pipes ran out like okay well that's great what are you going to do now to in the front door <clears throat> so you need you need a couple sections for your working length inside so run it that far and understand okay a city block most of our city blocks i 300 feet will get me around three quarters of the block so now that correlates to if I'm going in the rear, <clears throat> which line do I need to pull? How far do I need to get the hydrant at the <clears throat> bottom of the block, the top of the block? Understanding what our complements are. Uh, it's easier to deploy a line than it is to build a line. So static stretches are great <clears throat> in instances, but if you're building it, you're gonna inevitably be carrying or dragging line dragging hose as opposed to carrying it. It's a lot easier to carry hose than it is to drag it. It's not getting snagged on all the obstacles. So understand what's your typical uh, dwelling di distance or, or depth, uh, width. I know a lot of the city row homes can vary from 12, 15 feet up to about 20 feet wide. How many houses is it in? So I know, okay, if I know this block or this section of town is smaller row homes, they're closer to 15 foot. So I know about five of them is going to be a, or uh, four of them is going to be close to a section of hose. So where are we parking? Did the, did the truck get there first? Did the truck pull around us when we, uh, we stopped? Did we get here before the truck and we pull past to leave them room so they, they won't cry? Uh, so a ladder can make it to the roof. 
Nah, seriously, uh, truck positioning is uh, is paramount. Is we can't extend lines, they can't really extend uh, the aerial. Uh, so, how far did we pull by? Pull past? Did they pull past to put the <clears throat> tiller cab at the front door, or did they stop so the aerial, <clears throat> so the turntables at the front door because of a tree? So, understand how far back we are. That might change whether I pull the crossway or I pull a line off the rear because of how it's packed or how long it is. So it's just, <clears throat> do you have parked cars? How many parked cars are between here and there? Okay, I know a car is, small car is 15 feet, a, a truck's about closer to 20. <clears throat> so understanding that and just guess, <clears throat> using that for your estimates and then not just thinking about it once, think about it constantly so when you're riding down the street when you're taking the medic runs when you're just out on your own think okay well how far is it from here to there and understand oh okay that's that far uh so if you only think about it on runs or on box alarms you're not going to excel you're going to be that uh that standard your that, that success at the standard you're not going to be the excel Awesome. Thanks. Um, so we're, we're a little over the hour now. Um, so let's go ahead and, and start wrapping it up. Uh, we'll kick it over to Mike um, and then down to the, the beautiful couple in the bottom corner. Uh, see if they have any closing comments. Oh, gosh. Um, and then we'll uh, we'll head out. So, Mike. Well, I just I, I just want to thank Raj for coming on and um, your wealth of knowledge, man. And it was awesome to have you here and and throwing out all these little tidbits. And um, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you fielding those questions because uh, I know there's a lot of them out there. And, uh, you know, engine operations is, you know, seems to be paramount nationwide versus the truck, especially dealing with smaller jurisdictions. So it's all very important information and it's very necessary. And um, thank you again, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I'm glad that we didn't have this measuring discussion uh, with my wife because I ever completely convinced otherwise. Uh, thanks for having me. Oh. All right. I'll start off and I give it to Trevor. So um, I, I think I would be very excited to do a show where we talked about, uh, and we, Roger was willing to come back, um, where we talked about. Uh, the outside stretch estimation, the interior stretch estimation, and ladder estimation with Mike, and just talk about that stuff alone in one show. Because honestly, that could take up a whole show talking about why, how we're figuring out how much line to pull, or you know where to put ladders and things like that. And I think it deserves kind of its own whole hour, don't you, Trevor? I mean, I think so. Uh, Rogers, awesome seeing you again. I, we have to see you more often, man. Stop down to the city every once in a while, would you? You have to get out of the hood every once in a while, right? Okay. Even Mike comes. I'll stop by now that uh, now that you had a change in leadership, I'll stop in. Oh, okay. Well, I think I, well, I, think I was banned uh, for about a decade. Oh, I, Mike told me it's because truck guys are just classier guys that come down to Ocean City more. But all right. No, no, no. I <laughs> I very rarely when I come down make it across the bridge. But uh, all right, I'll give it to Trevor. All right. Um, Roger, thank you very much for being on tonight. Much love and respect. I agree with Bobby. I think a great show would not only be stretch estimations, 
but also line selection because we all have our uh, parameters of where we select the inch and three quarter, the, two, the deuce and a half, or we go to exterior lines. Um, and even though we have a lot of commonality amongst that, we also have a lot of division. So I really think it'd be great to put some of those mindsets to work and uh, show people you know, the inner workings of what makes us select the lines we do. But um, you know, uh, between Bobby and uh, you know, Ben and Mike and Roger, thank you all very much for being on and contributing your, your time and talents to us. We really do appreciate it. Um, I've not heard that same thing about the truck guys have more class than the engine guys. Uh, I did hear that the truck guys will usually step out of the shower to take a leak. They, they're that classy, but you know, hey, we're, we're just cut above sometimes. But uh, guys, thank you so much for being on. Uh, you really appreciate the contributions, and uh, we hope to have you on again sometime soon. It's hard to sit in the shower and pee. So I hear. <laughs> Holy cow! This this is going downhill quick, and I love it. Um, Roger, is there anything that you'd like to add or anything that you got coming up? I'm going to mention the Demarva Fire Conference uh, before we head out, but um, you also work for Traditions Training. Do you guys have anything coming up that you guys want to plug real quick? Uh, so I'm going up to New England Fools uh, for their Fire Summit Conference uh, the weekend of March 4th. I think, uh, I think I'm giving a lecture on March 5th, whatever that Saturday is. So New England Fools up, I think it's in Wells, Maine. Uh, is where the conference is. So be up there doing an engine lecture also. And then the following weekend down in Pocomoke doing a Delmar Fire. So looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Uh, anytime you want to have me back, more than welcome. Or more than awesome. excited to be back. So, so thanks awesome. for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Great show. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right, folks. Like I said, we're we're a little over an hour. It was a great show. We probably could have gone on for another another hour. Um, you know, just with like Bobby and Trevor had mentioned, you know, estimates, uh, stretch estimates, ladder estimates, uh, handline selection, all that kind of stuff. Um, but we are going to cut it off and uh, get to some other stuff for tonight. So, uh, like I mentioned, that we do want you to to go check out the Delmarva Fire. Uh, LLC on Facebook. They have the Delmarva Fire Conference coming up March uh, 13 and 14. Uh, I know the guys that are that are putting that together have done a great job uh, and have some really good stuff coming um, for everybody that's going to attend. If you're going to be in New England uh, that first weekend in March, check out uh, the New England Fools uh, and see Raj there um, and, and see what they've got going on. Uh, you're not going to be disappointed. Uh, as far as Thirsty Thursdays go, uh, the next couple that we have set up, uh, February 3rd, uh, looks as of right now, we've got retired Captain Mike Gagliano from Seattle. Um, he's written and has done a lot of stuff uh, between um, air supply, like an air supply standpipe system for firefighters in buildings, um, and the, the, um, uh, the firefighter marriage. Uh, him and his wife wrote a book on that. So a lot of really great stuff from Captain Gagliano. Uh, so we're looking forward to, to having him come on. And then two weeks after that, this is probably the first time we've had this much planned out. So we'll see how well it goes. Um, but after that, we, we've got retired lieutenant from Ocean City, Tommy Kane. One of the nicest human beings that I think I have ever met uh, is going to come on and um, talk about who knows what. He's got a lot of experience uh, and a lot of different asset and a lot of different um parts of emergency services between uh, beach patrol, the fire and EMS, and then working uh, emergency management. So 
uh, that's going to be a great show. That'll be in uh, the middle of February. So, um, again, thanks for everybody for joining. We appreciate uh, you tuning in. Raj, thanks again for joining us. Uh, it was a great chat with you. Gentlemen, cheers. Bobby, Trevor, hope the rest of your date goes well. I don't know who's paying, but um, or you're going Dutch, not sure, but have a great time. All right, see you guys. See you guys.